Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. What do you think? Did he get up? I mean, of all things to say. What? <laughs> what? That family picnic sometimes. Gives <laughs> <laughs> you more than just potato salad. Are you kidding me, Mike? Oh my God, that is hilarious. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. It is show three for the week, Thursday, June 15th. We promised the second half of the Richie Gilmore conversation, Mike. And uh, we are, uh, we're going to have more of that conversation coming right up. Part yeah. one was really incredible. Richie come into the Bojangle studio and told us all about how he got involved in racing, which was pretty interesting to me. I never sat down with a guy after all these years with him, uh, working with him, to learn that part of his life. Um, but it was cool to, to kind of get to a point to where we could break the interview. And there's just so much more that we need to talk about with Richie, uh, the DEI days and all of that, and especially the motor, you know, this engine that helped me win so many races, so many important races. Uh, I want to I discuss that with Richie, and we're going to get to do that today. Yeah, listen, there, I, I think you and I came in want, not re- really wanting to dive deep into the, uh, the management of the Dale Earnhardt Incorporated years, but the conversation naturally went there. Um, and I think that you and Richie both said some really profound things, and I think that the listeners are really going to, uh, you know, enjoy and, and appreciate the the candor that goes on at this table. So it is a, a necessary thing to have a second ally segment. This is part two of the Richie Gilmore interview. So you're coming over to DEI. They're they're because they're going to go cup racing, I guess, well, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Parks Is, going cup racing in the one car. Yeah. Well, I this let's see. I talked to him. Now this was '98. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they're getting ready to start the night, the eight car. Yep. I'm going to run five races. Yep. Um, and that's the new, that's the other deal they're talking about yep. starting up. Um, oh, okay. I, I misunderstood that then. Yep. So the new the deal that the they new team referenced they needed four guys for yep. was the eight, eight, not the one. Yeah, it was eight. yeah the but one's the going. one has already one's running. One's running already. Yep. Got it. Yeah. And so they were just moving into the big shop. Yep. The engine shop. The car shop was already in there. That is well in advance. If you're talking about ninety eight. I mean, yep. you would you you didn't even hardly know you were getting the uh, the Bush Series right at the time, and then yeah. you get that you win the championship. But if 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 what you're saying is right, then he was, obviously he was looking in advance. He knew that there was a cup path that he was going to put Dale Jr. in. He was he was just winning, going to win his second Xfinity championship yeah. in '99. Okay, yeah. we're going into '99 though, and you're feeling some buyer's remorse. You're feeling like you want to go back to HMS. Yeah, so. In the spring of 99, this second deal that's the Bud 18 is in the middle of their five races they're going to run that year in the cup side. I'm finishing up my Xfinity career full-time, going full-time next year in the, in the cup series. What was wrong? Why did you want to go back? 
um, I got there and um, the end of it, 80, let's say 98, and we were we were testing with the one car. Mm-hmm. Um, went testing and which worked out good. I mean, my main deal there, I, got, I started building carburetors and going testing with Steve. And, Steve uh, Park. Steve Park. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, that's awesome. And uh, even built the carburetor for your dad, which uh, then they they said, okay, you and uh, Bob Burham are going to build the eight car engines. So that that basically went through Christmas and into New Year's, and um, I got got working on just your stuff, me and Bob, and I was like, man. I'm a very much a perfectionist and like systems in place. And uh, Mark Eisler was in charge. And Mark and I are good friends now. And, he, you know, he works over at Hendrix. And, but he was going through a lot of stuff to, um, you know, not to blame him for everything that was going wrong at the time. But he was going through a lot of stuff personal in his life. And... He had just come off running him and uh, Jim Gamash running a business. Um, they built high performance boat engines and got thrown into this cup deal. And they they had a half hour lunch for all the guys, and you couldn't even go to somewhere and eat. You know, at that point, in a half hour, yeah. And all the guys were like miserable in the engine shop, and. They were all like, man, a lot of them are going to leave. And I was like, man, I just came off a place, went in championships and ran like a clock. Um, so I was like, man, this ain't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what did I get myself into? Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the idea of, you know, building engines for you. Um, but the engines were failing, you know, the ones for the one car. Um, and I was trying to help, but they didn't want my help. So I went to Ty and I'm like, man, I don't know if I can help you. Um, so I said, I call Randy and Randy said, man, we'd love to have you back. Yeah. Just give them a notice and we'll work it out. So I went in and told Ty, I said, man, I, I got to give you my notice. This ain't working out. And I said, I've never quit a job. It was just really bothering me. Was this in the off season? This was in April. Oh, this is the <laughs> yeah. this just kind of got the season going. Just right? got it going, and, right. I, and I've never left a team during a season. Okay, and um, we're in, we're coming up on the wh- first eight car race, race in Charlotte. Holy yeah. crap! In that May, is. at the end of yeah. May, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Count down to yeah. Count down to E Day. Yeah, yeah. what it's called. Yeah. Everybody was feeling the pressure yeah. at, that, yeah. at that particular time of year. So I'm like, man, you know, I oh. said I ain't feeling good about this. So, so he called. He said, I got. I'm going to tell Big E, and um, so he was in Bristol at the race track. at the racetrack. And I'm like, this ain't going to be good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was living down Brawley School Road, you know. And we'd been working to like 1 o'clock every morning. You know, I didn't have cell phones. At that point, I don't think I had one. 
So I think I got a call. I think he called me at my house. And Brawley School Road took you 45 minutes to get down. Sure. At that point, he yeah. calls me and he said, hey, meet me at the shop in 30 minutes. I'm like, how's he going to do that? <laughs> so he helicopters back from Bristol. So I meet him at the shop. I pull in, and he had that, remember that uh, orange painted truck? He had just got it, brand-new truck. Mm -hmm. um, and he had that big St. Bernard, St. Bernard yes. in, the, in the back yeah. with a shotgun and a 12-pack of beer. Let me say, just to set the scene here, orange truck, St. Bernard, shotgun, and beer. Yep. God almighty, I'm yeah. scared for you. And he, he, <laughs> and he just looks at me and he says, get in. And that tone, like, get in. What the? I'm like, all right, he's going to shoot me and bury me out back. <laughs> <laughs> so, exactly. So I get in. We ride around the farm, and he's like, man, tell me why you want to leave me. So I told him, I really don't, but, you know, this is what's going on. And I didn't throw Mark under the bus, but I just said it's a different atmosphere. And he said, listen, I've been know I've been known this has been going on for a couple months. He said, I apologize, and I should have made a change earlier, but he said, I got some things I'm working on, and I'm well, looking at somebody come in and take over the engine shop. Can you give me a month? And I'm like, well, he said, I'll talk to Randy tomorrow, and I'll work it out. I'm like, okay, whatever you need. But this was like, two hours driving around out back scared drinking beer you know i, I probably drank more beer in them two hours than i had in a long time <laughs> well he's gonna shoot you might as well <laughs> yeah get drunk, that's right. Right. i'm like i was scared to death <laughs> and uh but it was great talk you know and i'm like so i'm thinking i'm gonna work you know a couple more weeks three weeks whatever he needs and go back so next day i come uh or monday i come in well, everybody's working normal. About 10.30, I'm working, because I'm the only one, me and Bob, building engines for him to go to Charlotte and uh, getting the engine ready. And uh, all of a sudden, I look around, there's nobody in the engine shop. They're all gone. So then uh, I think Steve Meal come up and said, hey, you need to go upstairs. We're having a meeting. So I go upstairs and... Um, Big E and Ty and Don Hawk were talking to the engine group. And he said, hey, we just let Mark go. Um, and just told everybody you were taking over the engine shop. Didn't ask me. Didn't talk to me about that. Damn. Didn't say a word. And he looked at his, looked at his watch, said, hey, I'm, i got to go to Napa for appearance. I'll be back tonight about 730. We'll talk about it then. We walked back down, me, Steve Mill, Hawk, and Ty into the trophy room. And he said, hey, you, you'll be all right. Then left. And then Steve Mill said, hey, you know, everybody was good with it. <laughs> and uh, he said he's going to come back at 730 to talk to you about it. I walked back downstairs, and they started running the dyno. And uh, engine for that week, we started scuffing pistons on the dyno. It was like the worst week. I mean, everything we did was. That's not a good thing, Mike. Yeah, scuffing pistons. pistons. It was yeah. going, going bad. Yeah. So everybody's like, it was, it was unreal. It was like 
it was like a bad week, but it was a good week. It bonded everybody together. Because um, a week before that, we were, I don't know if you remember, but Steve wrecked it. What really let it off, I think why I wanted to leave, we, we blew a freeze plug out. And I wanted to pin all the blocks, um, the freeze plugs in, because what we did at Hendrix, and Mark disagreed. He went, didn't want to do it. And we blew a freeze plug out going in the corner at Martinsville, and Steve wrecked. And I remember your dad coming over after the race, looking at me like, hey, what are you guys doing down there? Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is what we should be doing. But, you know, I'm, I'm not in charge, you know, and didn't want to throw Mark in, but I said, we got some stuff to work on. And then got back Monday, and Mark's like, oh, we ain't doing that. Mm. And then we're going, getting ready to go to Texas. And I'm like, we wreck a freeze plug there. We're going to hurt Steve yeah. again. So that was all the stuff we were up against. But we started fixing stuff, and, I mean, everybody there chipped in, and we had a really gr- good group of guys. Oh Yeah, but wait a second. Nobody's yet asked you if you were on no. board for taking over the engine shop. I mean, I can't get past this here. In fact, it's almost like Dale Earnhardt has some sort of force-sensitive powers over everybody to tell them what they feel. <laughs> and, and it's like everybody's good with it. Well, what about the one person that they're right. putting in charge? Is anybody going to ask him? Yeah. So uh, did you ever speak up for your- He came back that night. I think it was about 8 o'clock, 8.30, you know, and I was still there working. And he came in, and he goes, hey, you good with this? Like, <laughs> okay, well. And I'm like, well, I'll man. Give you I'm, some time to think about it. <laughs> yeah. How nice of you. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, man, I've never run an engine shop or, or, or people. And he's like, I'll tell you what. If you agree to do it, I'll be in here every morning after I feed the cows, and I'll help you. And I'm like, all right. And he goes, we'll, we'll find somebody. And I don't think he ever looked. But he said, listen, uh, and, and the employees hired me a plaque, uh, got me a plaque later for Christmas. And he, what he said, and he said it to all the employees later, he said, you can hire good leaders, but he said, the best leaders are born leaders. And they all bought me a plaque that said that. It was really cool. Damn, that's badass. That, and, and I always tell people that um, that's probably the coolest thing anybody ever said to me in my life, especially to come from him. Mm, powerful. Yeah. Actually, yeah. yeah. I will say <clears throat> um, I've been racing in the Xfinity Series, and with uh, with some pretty good power and – but in the Xfinity Series, you show up with the motor you're going to race. I'd never drove a qualifying motor before. And we went to Charlotte for the May race, uh, my very first race ever. And you were nervous, right? And <laughs> I told – I think I told you this. When we put that motor in for qualifying, it was like mashing fast forward on the on the VCR. <laughs> Which is, a lot of people analogy. don't. A lot of people don't know what a VCR this is. Well, we do. We're old enough. But I'm gonna tell you right now, there was a lot of things. You you there's so many adjustments you can make on a race car, and it's just so subtle. You got to really, and sometimes it's placebo. You don't know if you're really feeling it or not. But man, when we put in our qualifying motors. It was, it was, it felt like you were literally going 10 mile an hour faster at the end of the straightaway. 
And um, I used they used to I used to love talking to them about it because they're like you know it it's only got you know it's only got a dozen laps before it's going to explode you know it's mm. like that's the way it made yeah. you feel like they knew how to make that motor just run as good as it could yeah but it was only going to do it for that amount of time that it needed to run and it was so fascinating man I felt like um you know I felt like I was getting like some inside knowledge right or something some special yeah that I'd never experienced before and I'll be honest with you I don't know that I I don't know that I you know there was only a little spe- there was only a little window of time in my life where I know the sport changed a lot but god almighty man we'd put the damn qualifying motor in and it was like hang on this son of a is going to be going into the corner a lot faster and uh it was fun to tell them and there there's richie's face would light up but he knew that's what it was going to do <laughs> but weren't you terrified though that qualifying as it got closer like i was scared i'll be honest with you i was never more scared in a race car than right before qualifying and it was not so much about the cars going to go faster it was just because that was the one moment where no one was on that racetrack but you and every person at that place was paying attention to what you were doing Mm. and it was like you know when you're in a crowded room and everybody in that room is doing the same thing if you up or you don't do it just quite as good as you could have or maybe you just make a mistake it's hardly noticed because everyone else in the room is doing what you're doing but when you're the only one doing it and everybody else is watching you, you're like, man, I got to hit this just right. And if you don't, and everybody you don't, knows it. If you don't, there ain't no hiding, no excuses. <laughs> right. Everybody saw it. Oh, yeah, I saw you screw up. Um, so there was a lot of pressure. Let me ask you this, because, again, I remember there being this huge marketing campaign. Um, I think even Budweiser made special cans and all this stuff. I mean, oh, like yeah. they gave it a name. And so Every- there was pressure. I'm wondering, did you guys in the engine shop feel that pressure as well? I remember how much time we spent on the qualifier for Charlotte. Um, <laughs> Just because we had to make it, right? Yeah, we had to make it. We didn't it. have a spot. And, uh, oh, that's right. The thing, of thing, course. I'm going to tell you, that motor, I, I mean, if I remember this correctly, that qualifying engine for that race was so different from my race motor. <laughs> like I, a, I remember when we, we put it in, because we went over and t- – tested and we were fast really fast and we were like we knew what we had for a practice motor and this thing was bad Mm. um and we go over and we put it in just we only want to run a few laps with it and we go out there and we're like maybe eighth in practice and uh biggie comes over and he looks in this window he goes what's wrong you know, because we weren't quickest on the board. And, <laughs> Jeez, and, let's talk about and, expectations. And he had he had just practiced in Xfinity, you know. And Junior looks out, and, and I was right next to him, and he looks over and he goes, "Man, have you ever seen that show Cops? When they show the they show the video cam, how fast some things are going." He goes. That was me going down the back stretch. <laughs> <laughs> give, give me a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, hell yeah. <laughs> to this day, the yeah. way his brain works, yeah. right? It just. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't you ever seen that show, Cops, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. You know, if 
that's a good point that you guys weren't even in the race. You had to qualify in. And there's so much marketing that it reminded me. Remember that Dan versus Dave uh, Olympic campaign that I don't know if it was McDonald's or whatever, but like they had the two athletes, like the best athletes in the world. And then one of them didn't even make the Olympics. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they put all that pressure yeah. build up. Millions and millions of dollars all put into this. And one of them didn't even qualify for the Olympic team. Yeah. Yeah. That day, that countdown to E today was a uh, very nauseating. I even get nauseous thinking about it now, but it was, it was, I mean, I, I wasn't quite as, I wasn't even that uncomfortable as I, as I am today, right, about things like that. But, um, you know, we were kind of like, man, we're living a life. This is wild, right? This is freaking awesome. But it was, uh, once we got up on, it's like walking up to a cliff. Oh, this ain't nothing. We're good. You get up there and you look down and you're like, holy shit, this is, we're high up. That was like race day was looking off the edge of that cliff going, holy shit. Yeah, I guess it's nothing like uh, having the uh, calming, soothing, peaceful voice of Tony Erie Sr. reminding you that you ain't crap if you don't go yeah. turn a certain time. Keep no driving. <laughs> Son of a <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah. All right, so then y'all qualified and made the first race. Yeah. Then what happened, Richie, <laughs> after oh, that? Then, then uh, we're going to Richmond, I think it was, and we were down in the old shop, the lower shop, chicken coop shop. Oh. And we were, we got down there and we, we built the motor, and we put it in, and you know, we had such high expectations because Charlotte, we put the engine in and it didn't run as good uh, as we thought. Chassis dynoed outside, mm-hmm. eating pizza, and <laughs> and uh, pops is like, man, this thing should have run better. And I said, yeah, it ran good on the dyno. So about that time, Big E pulls in. What are y'all talking about? I said, man, this thing don't chassis dyno like we thought it would. Pull it out. This was probably eight o'clock at night, night before we're gonna leave. So we pull it out. He said, You got another good one? I said, Yeah, we got another good one. We might have even got the Charlotte motor and uh, changed manifolds and uh, put it in. So all the guys were down there were all like pumped up, you know, changing motors. And uh, so we changed motors and ran good. And uh, this is one of my, one of my, probably one of the defining mo- moments where I understood, like you said, the nervous side of Big E too. So he tells me, he says, listen, because when you go to Richmond, you, it's an impound race and you qualify and then you're impound so you don't have any more practice. And they were running the Xfinity race, so they were going back and forth. Mm. So he says, you're, you're my, you know, you got to come talk to me and keep me posted if we're going to make this race or not. I'm like, all right. So I go over. We run like five laps, and we're like third. <laughs> so Tony said, all right, go to the Xfinity garage. We're not going to practice anymore. So... I go over and tell Big E, you know, because if he sees us not practicing, he's like, why ain't y'all doing Why ain't practicing? So I go over, and he's like 30th, Big E, I'm practicing. So I walked back to the three truck, and uh, Danny Lawrence is standing there, known Danny forever. I said, hey, you seen Big E? He said, yeah, he's up in the lounge. So I'm going to go tell him, you know, we're not practicing because we're fast. <laughs> and um, 
And they're going to go back to the Xfinity side. So I walk up into the three hauler and he, you know, remind, remind him he told me to come Dude, tell him. Yeah. You know? So I walk up in the three hauler and uh, he said, What are you doing? I said, I'm just going to come tell you. And I get it half out and he's like, Get the hell out of my trailer. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, you know, a little bit of the Yankee comes out of me. I'm like, I walk out. I go back over to our car. I'm adjusting the valves, getting all my stuff done because impound race. He comes walking over about 45 minutes later wanting to talk to me. I ain't going to talk to him. Yeah. Hell with him, you know. I don't give a <laughs> So he's like trying to talk to me, be nice. Nope. I ain't talking to him. What, are you just not even responding? You just ignoring nope. him? Silent treatment? I got my to do. You know, so he's like, you know, poking me, trying to be friends. I'm like, no. So he, we, we end up, you know, we go right into the race, you know. So uh, he comes in uh, Monday morning. What the hell's wrong with you? I said, nothing. He said, man, I tried to talk to you at night and you wouldn't talk to me. I said, man, I come over your trailer and you told me to get the hell out. He said, man, that, I was doing my job. That's my job. When I'm in the three-car hauler, I'm the three-car driver. I said, you don't remember telling telling me to come tell you that how we were in practice? You didn't want to miss that race? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he said, I did tell you. He said, but you can't walk up in the three-hauler, Richie. You got to get them to come tell me to come to the back. Wow. I said, I get it. Uh-huh. You know, I was like, man, he's he's a three car. Yeah, and there was optics involved that he was probably paying attention to. Yeah, driver. And uh, I said, you know, that's how when he puts that damn fire suit on, he's that guy. Mm. Yeah, and uh, that's interesting. And I and I I use that. I tell a lot of guys that. You know, they were like, how was it working for Dale? I said, one thing about it, he was he was probably the best boss I ever had. But when Thursday he walked down that hallway with the cowboy boots on, he was that guy. He he was he was a three car driver. Yeah. And he had that switch. And they said, Well you really like, wouldn't pay him any attention. I was like, no, I give it right back to him. Mm-hmm. And I said, That's the respect we had. Yeah. But when he come in Monday morning, he was like, Damn. He liked that. I gave it right back to him. Yeah. So listen, this is the perfect time. Then I don't want to jump around, but you have a a story from two thousand one though, where Dale was walking in the in the DEI shop, and I'm looking at these notes about uh, stretch. Yeah. And wasn't he wanting to look like tell the story about yeah. what he was wanting to? And stretch. I have to tell the whole story about him. Like we were talking about manifolds and heads. Um, when I went first went to work for Hendrix. Rich was my cylinder head manifold guy, and he just retired this year from ECR, so he's been with me 30-something years. But he was the first guy every night, every morning, every night at DEI, turned the lights on, turned them off. He was special. I mean, he did our manifold cylinder heads, and um, they all loved him to death. But he would he worked on our heads and our manifolds on all our plate winds. So we were working late one night, 
all right, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and getting ready to go go down to the Daytona. So we, we were doing some pretty interesting stuff to the manifolds. And uh, Big E was just walking around, and we had some shop rags over the manifolds. And he was picking the shop rags up, looking at the manifolds. And as he was picking them up, Rich was walking behind him, covering them back up. And Dale looked around, and he goes, there ain't nobody in the shop but three of us. What's he doing? I said, covering them back up. He said, why? And I said, you need to ask him. He looked over stretch. He said, why are you covering this stuff back up? And he said, you don't drive for us. <laughs> <laughs> Competition. Yeah. Hey, it works both ways, doesn't that, it? That's right. You don't drive for us. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even mind that you're, he's the owner of the that's thing, right? right? But, uh, I mean, I always assumed that that was a, you know, a te- almost as close to a teammate situation, RCR and DEI. But that's a good story, and both of those stories just suggest that there was, there were boundaries. Yeah, I guess there were boundaries, right? Um, I would have assumed it was open door policies, but I guess it wasn't necessarily, and I think that might have been just a respect factor, right? It was. Um, you know, I, we worked together. Uh, we had the RAD program. Oh yeah, with Andy Petrie and Richard and mm-hmm. and DEI, well, all the notes were shared on the bodies and. Um, the wind tunnel data, um, but I think you know. Listen to Slugger the other day and Steve Mill. We all shared the wind tunnel program, but I think even in our walls, that was probably one of my toughest challenges when I found out when I got put in charge of the car side to get to share the data just in the shops was, you know, guys, we we need to race, but we don't need to race against each other. Mm. Um, was knocking the walls down within DEI was probably the chef, toughest battle that I had to learn. Yeah, and I know we just that, – that, that's a – there's several years there between that you get put – what was your job title at that point? Because um, – I went from running the engine shop to the vice, pre, vice president, executive vice president of competition. Yeah, and did you want that job? No. How come you had to get put in that position? Um, I don't – I really enjoyed working with, with Ty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the Ty and Teresa's relationship went bad. Um, yep. And he, so he leaves and that you basically filled that role. Yes. So, you know, we, I, we've had a lot of people come in here from DEI and we've talked, we talked around and around and around about that time. And I sort of have, you know, I have, some you definitely you know, like we all do I have some mixed feelings about it right especially knowing what I know now about life and being a professional and being accountable and who I was back then and and all the mistakes and missteps um I will say that I love hearing how much you enjoyed working with Ty I always um you know always felt like that you had a really level head um, I, I did, I, I can kind of see where you're coming from in terms of not really wanting to be in that position that you were put in to be the sort of the decider and the referee. Uh, but, um, you know, we have this great year in 2004, me and Tony senior and Tony junior had a great year at least. 
Um, you know, there was the rest of the company outside of that. We, we have a habit of just looking at it from my point of view and as a driver of the eight car, we had a great year, you know, and we get to, uh, Homestead and in about 48 hours, me and Tony Jr. and Tony Sr. went from a six win team to not come, not even talking. Couldn't even talk, arguing any any communication between the one of us resulted in you know a bunch of you know just nastiness you know and I think it must have been broadcasts you know everything on the radio and it was just a, you know a bad deal. Um, we get into the I guess I don't remember if it was immediately after that or what, but we. I remember sitting down with you and going, I think I need to do something different. And I tell everybody, and I've said it on this show, I think my biggest mistake in my career was trying to think that I needed to be somewhere else or with someone else than Tony Sr. and Tony Jr. I don't know that you carry any responsibility yourself with what went on during all that time, but I don't think you should. Um, You know, I felt like that, for whatever reason, in that moment, I thought I knew what I needed, and I was the last person that probably needed to make any of those type of decisions or influence any of that. Um, going, Pete Rondo is a great man, very nice guy, capable of doing a great job, but he was putting in a difficult situation, and I wasn't a, a mature enough to manage that. Um, you know, so 05 was a was a bit of a struggle for all of us. Um, but I wasn't, you know, there, there's, I, I wasn't making the deal any better. I wasn't helping how things were going, but, you know, eventually I got, I regretted the decision and asked if we could get it all, you know, unpacked and put it all back together. Yep. And we tried, um, you know, and the, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, the 07 season was a – I don't even remember it all that much other than it being very frustrating. There was a lot of issues on and off the track. But um, none of that had anything to do with you, you know. And I don't know where you are emotionally or mentally about all that part of your life. I know that – you know, that took a toll on you. Yep. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how you feel about it, but, um, I don't know if you have frustrations at me or toward me. I know that you wouldn't ever, you know, we, you're, I know who you are and I know you wouldn't ever say a, a bad word about anybody, but, um, I want you to know, man, like I take a lot of responsibility for that period of time. Um, and being who I was and who I should, who I wasn't, who I should have been. Um, I was driving for one of the best teams in the garage in 2004. We were winning races. We had, we had one of the best sponsors, all the ingredients, the best, you know, everything was going well, considering who we had lost and where we could have been. That company was kicking some ass and I wasn't old enough or mature enough to see what I should have been doing or could have been doing to help us progress and continue on that path, you know? And so I take a lot of responsibility for 
where the eye went from 2004 to 2007. And, um, and I know that you do, you, 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 you know, we're, we're a part of trying to keep us going in the right direction. <sighs> you know, things, things went where they went, but they had, for me, man, that had, you know, the decisions that I ultimately ended up making and going to drive for Rick were rooted in other issues that I had, right. you know, outside of driving a race car. But, you know, we had some great times together and I regret how, I regret how that ended for both of us. Um, but I will say that, you know, I don't, I really thought the world of you and appreciated, um, how you handled not only the good times, but some of the tougher times you were always a professional. I never, ever, you know, in some of the worst times, you know, you, you learn who people really are and you find out what's being said when you're not in the room, you know, and I can promise everybody that, you know, Richie Gilmore was in, was as as good and as true as anybody that I was dealing with during that period of time. And I know probably not your fondest fondest part of your career. I, you know, I I really look back at it was we were dealt a bad hand. Uh, nobody nobody seen it coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my passion my whole life has been engines. Um, so when, you know, when Ty left, um, it was a tough deal for all of us because, you know, most days I went to lunch with Ty or, or Steve, um, Steve and Steve, probably, the, you know, one of my best friends in, in life, um, you know, is, is was, I, you know, was experienced life and telling stories with Steve Meal. And there's no better storyteller than Steve Meal. Yeah. And... Probably one of my best friends still to this day is Steve Crisp. Is not a nice nicer guy than Steve Crisp, and um, having that time with them guys, and even now I do business and work with with Ty on a regular basis with Trackhouse, and we 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 got a great relationship. Um, but I think the. Um, St- trying to do run a company and still run the engine shop was the toughest side. I probably should have got more help on the engine side, you know, cause trying to do that at night, um, and not have the right help and going up to ECR and, and taking that over and getting good help made me realize what I, what I did wrong at, um, at DEI, because now I was surrounding myself up there with really good people, and we did. And you and I talked about it. We, you know, we tried to get Bobby Hutchison to come help us, and some some good people like that. And um, and that's the key to be to success is surround yourself with good people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had, you know, we moved Tony Senior up, and and we had Steve Mail there, but at, at the the unfortunate part of that was there was so much competition built into our company, and I think that goes way back to having your dad. Um, he built competition into our management structure, um, which was okay when he was there. Yeah, he, he was the sheriff. Yeah, 
Um, but we needed more. Um, the people. sheriff. Yeah, we needed need a sheriff. We need a sheriff there, and and how I manage wasn't that way. Um, I I enjoyed a lot of, um, especially two thousand four, uh, because it, you look at after we lost your dad, everybody through two thousand four pitched in, and I mean we we you look at we won more races than Hendricks, Joe Gibbs. We beat a lot of really really good teams, and a lot of teams was worried about us what we are what we accomplished um you know like you say pete ronda was a really great guy and, and i worked with him uh through rcr and furniture row mm -hmm. we just pete was we throw him into a, a situation nobody can understand the pressure um of the bud car yeah i mean that is unbelievable pressure and we looked at, you know, we looked at some really good crew chiefs for you, and we didn't pull the trigger on it. Um, definitely would have done things different. Who were some of the people that we looked at? Do you remember? I was trying to think of his name coming here this morning. He was Dale Jarrett's crew chief, and we even talked to Dale, and Dale told us not to get him, <laughs> and he went on to be Denny Hamlin's crew chief and won a bunch of races. Mike Ford? Mike Ford. Yeah. And... Um, might have not worked out, but I think at the time, if we would have pulled the trigger on him, he would have been a better fit for yeah. us at the time. Yeah. Because um, we needed somebody with experience. Because that would have, because I think the original lineup I had, it, I wanted to shake things up because I thought, you know, Bono was a really, really good crew chief for Martin yep. and Xfinity. But. We needed somebody more experienced when Martin went to Cup, and I wanted to put Tony Jr. with Martin, mm -hmm. and that was my first choice. I went to Tony Jr.'s house and talked about it, and he's like, man, you got to make sure Mono's good with that. And I really think that would have been the, the right move at the time, and I should have gone with more of my gut than what people's opinions were. Yeah. You say that you guys were just unable to pull the trigger, but there's also some things when you talk about wanting to hire good people. Was Were people not wanting to come to work there, or were you guys just paralyzed on the inside out just being able to make these pretty pretty big changes? You know, I had a lot of say on decisions, day-to-day um, -day operations, but getting crew chiefs and getting things like that um, – like you know, offering salaries and so forth. Salaries. Yeah. Um, I look back at a lot of things. Like I tell Richard uh, all the time up there. You know, when he made me president up at ECR, I would go to Richard and say, "Hey, I want to do that." You know, he gave me the capability to spend thirty million dollars over fifteen years up there. I I made the money for him, but if I need to buy something, we go sit down and talk about it. And he'll, he'll go, okay, Richie, pull the trigger. And I'm like, whoa, what did you say? You know, <laughs> oh, you know I get you can make a decision. And, you didn't have anybody. You know, I had nobody to help me make a decision. And I look back at the times and read the emails that went back and forth between me and Kelly. Uh, I mean, I'm really grateful me and Kelly have the relationship we have now. But the money I held that I felt like I was held back on Junior and Kelly 
for a year at a time. You know, I was in charge of the company, but I wasn't in charge of the company where I could pay them what we owed them. Um, that that weighs on you. Um, when you owe somebody the money we owed them and couldn't pay them, um, but in the end of the day, that's your job. You know, you're running a company because what happened when I got, went from running the engine shop to running the company, within three months, we fired the marketing group. You know, everything underneath me got gone. All of a sudden, boom, I was hiring new marketing people um, from somebody that never ran marketing to all this was gone. Hmm. You know, I had, what I had left was Joe Hedrick, which is, was mm-hmm. a big help. Steve Crisp, which was a godsend, but everybody under them was gone. So we're hiring new people, and then um, Teresa was gone. I mean, her and Taylor took a sabbatical for a year, which was, you know, you look back at it, she was a mother um, and a wife that lost, you know, they lost their dad and their husband. And, And I think that was the part, for me, like Junior says, you never, I don't say bad things about people, but I was left with all that would no say. Mm. I couldn't make paint scheme decisions. I couldn't make. Yeah, everything had to go through every, a process. Every, everything had to go through a process. I was running a company and couldn't make decisions. So yeah. that, I, you know, I forget, I forget exactly where we all were and, and, and how all of those things we're really playing out, and uh, it never is easy. But I try, I try to – what I concentrate on, Junior, like you say, um, I always try to think about the positive things. Yeah. When, in, when in all them Daytona 500s, yeah. um, so, you taking me to the World Series. <laughs> I mean, those are great yeah. things I would have never experienced. Yeah. But hold on. It feels like that you put a lot of responsibility on yourself for the failure to get Dale to resign at DEI. Am I reading that right? Oh, absolutely. Well, but is it if if there's two people on the planet would, that would un, understood your situation and what your inability to be able to get these things done, wouldn't it have been Dale and Kelly? Like yeah. th- they would have understood that, right? I didn't think that that was your responsibility. Right. To do that. Um I, I know you wanted to to get it done, which is admirable. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, 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 but, look, I'm not saying that you sh- should have felt better. We would have been different, but I'm just saying is that to Dale's point, man, that, that like, it, it feels bad that you would have put that on yourself because that would not have been how anybody else would have ever blamed, uh, blamed you if that's how you felt. And it feels like that's what you're saying. I think probably the one thing that was toughest on me was at that time, everybody looked at me, the employee wise, as the guy that ran the whole company because mm-hmm. they never saw her. And I probably spent most of my time working on that to work with Dale Jr. and Kelly. I think I spent most of my time really – I don't think there was anybody on the planet b- besides a lawsuit that was going to get your name back. Oh. Um, and I – I remember, yeah, we were trying to get my name back. And I – I didn't have the rights to and my, explain that. Like, yeah, yeah. My the lights. <laughs> he probably knows more than I do. The, my the my likeness and my name, Dale Earnhardt Jr., didn't belong to me. 
and it belonged to to Dad and Teresa. Yeah, it belonged to their 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 business, right? Owned the rights to Dale Earnhardt Jr. and and um, we wanted it, whether we stayed or not. We wanted it. We needed it. I, you know, it was my name, right? Um, but you know, it was uh, it was something that they, you know, Teresa was not keen to agree to. You know, and when we left, we ended up leaving with just Dale Jr. That's why the name on the roof rail was Dale Jr. Damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. And then that would mean if you don't own your, if you don't own what? the name, then like yeah. every, that there's no, there's no royalty for a die cast. There's none of that. Like it, everybody call, talks about like the amount of merchandise that would have moved through those yeah. early bud years, but you didn't. If if you don't own your name, you don't get that cut. I'm well, assuming. Yeah, I mean, it was it was. I don't know that I knew much about that. Kelly it, did. Kelly did. Right. I just thought, yeah, that makes sense. I should own the rights to you know, to my own name. Um, I didn't know that. That's why Dell Junior was the only name on the on the car. That that's I did yeah. not know that. That's interesting. Wow. Well, we just you know we wanted to be, you know, we didn't want to rough ruffle any feathers or do any. You don't want to create any unnecessary problems. There are already a lot of, you know, frustrations on both sides, and we just tried to – I'm like, man, you know, I just want to go over here and do my thing and don't want to have any more problems. This is going to sound like a personal question. I'm sorry, Richie, because I really don't want to go talk about the ugly stuff, but – if you're you're negotiating with Kelly, are you the one negotiating with her on, on behalf of Dale? Whether whether it's the name or anything else, anything I, contracts. I I think the me and Kelly made a lot of grounds on it, and then and I feel like I can talk about this now. A lot of times gone by, mm-hmm. and then Max got involved, um, and then it went downhill. This me. was ultimately going to be the question: is that what if you're negotiating with Kelly? Then where do you go? To are you reporting this up to Teresa? Are you reporting this stuff like it feels like you might if you don't have the power to make the decisions, you're the middleman. Then you're you're just the arbitrator. Yeah, um, and I think it, it went. We were making some ground on it, but honestly, looking back at it, it would have ever it it was going to be tough to ever get it done. Yeah, it was too many too many hard feelings from right. both sides. Um, and I look back at it now, you know, spent, after spending all that time on it, thinking, and, and I don't blame Max ever for it going bad because I think Max was thinking, I'm going to first fix this and then solve it, and it wasn't going to ever get fixed. Um, and that probably was some of my problem was I was thinking, I probably, I think me and Kelly probably had the right angle. Is we're going to work on this, me and Kelly, and leave them two out. Um, was the only, <laughs> yeah. and Max wanted to get us all in a room, mm-hmm. and that's when it went bad. I do. Appreciate <laughs> I the remember that family therapy, what? but you just don't know. <laughs> I remember that meeting when we, all got, we got in a room. What happened? That, that was when it, that was when it was not good. Who's in the room? Uh, me and Teresa. Her, him and Teresa. And oh, yeah. well, no, it, that, that was never going to end well. I don't remember. <laughs> I remember I remember a meeting when it was me and uh, me and Ty and Teresa. 
This was after Ty. Yeah. So Ty and Ty, Ty, we shared that conversation with Ty here. I was, I, I was in there. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a conversation yeah. there, and she blamed Ty for, you know. Yeah. And so, um, I bet you couldn't wait to go back to work on engines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about, hey, here's an opportunity to go work on engines. You're yeah. like, where do I sign up? Yeah. But uh, I, I think, um, I think the two things that. When I decided to go back, you know, when we put ECR together, back together, um, you know, Teresa gave me the decision to stay with her and keep running DEI or put the ECR together. And she was mad at me because me and Judy spent, I don't know, a couple hours with her. And I was probably the one that talked to her instead of going to legal battle on the name. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was the only shot we had to maybe get a contract with you. It was just to sign the papers, and I brought him to Michigan on your rights to get her to sign them papers. So that was probably strike one. And then, She didn't like that. No. Mm. And that was probably strike one for me. Then the other one was when I decided to do the ECR instead of stay and do the deal with Chip and her. Chip Ganassi. Yeah. Yep. I got to ask you if we can step back just a minute and maybe away from the 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 the, the deep. Whatever the hell yeah, this is. Deep, <laughs> the deep, deep conversation. Of yeah. the, uh, um, so I won $4 million plus million with this one engine. We won – three of the four in a row at Talladega with it. We won shootouts and qualifying races and the July race at Daytona, I believe maybe. Yep. I don't know. This race was – this engine was a very special engine, so much so that from what I was told, Tony Sr., Tony Jr., when Daytona or Talladega rolled around, they, they expected that motor to come cruising on into the shop for getting put into the primary car. And they would even insist on it if it wasn't the one that came, right? There was ever a time when y'all would bring a different motor in there and they'd come over and say, hey, who's, where's 11? Where's, where's our motor? Yeah. Right? That happened. That happened. Yeah. Um, eventually, this engine was in the car on Sunday morning, the day we won the fourth Talladega race in a row, and y'all found, uh, found an issue with a freeze plug. Yep. There was uh, concerns that it would, might not make it. You fixed the problem, but wasn't wasn't totally confident to leave it in there. And we changed engines that morning and ended up going in the race. You take this engine back and it never raced again. Yep. Why do you think that motor was so special? That motor did a lot of things. Um, and I'm sure there's been times in your career when you've had engines that just you know, you build cars and some of them just turn better in the middle of the corner. They're the same damn car built on the same jig as all the other 10, but this one car is always better. Um, I mean, is it that simple? But what was what was it about that motor? It just, every time we built it, uh, and that was one of the, I think that was one of the first ones I built there at DI. And it was like every time we built it, it just was ran special. And... But it, it was that was uh, that was either the first or second one I built there, 
and we built it as an open engine, and it didn't run. Not a plate motor. And it didn't run. <laughs> it was like, wow. And we we messed with cams on it, ran it on the dyno a bunch, and it wouldn't run. And uh, we're like, all right, we're going to turn this thing into a plate motor. Bam. Thing ran really, really good. And it was like every time we built it, plate motor ran good. Yeah. It was unstoppable. Yeah. But okay, but do you have a theory on, yeah. on what, what its secret? It's it, what, what was the magic? Is it is it literal? Is it just that simple as you just happen to you just happen to put the right intake with the right set of heads with the right block and all of that porting and and all of that flow and that air pump as you say just performed as perfectly as it could or because I mean you certainly changed a lot of this thing went through so many sets of pistons in its yeah. lifetime. I mean, it's not, it's got to be the main components. I think you measure a lot of these blocks and you look at them and stuff and, you know, lift bores and stuff like that are just lined up right. All alignment of everything to take all the friction out of it are just right in it. We're talking measurements too Millions. small. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so do you ever try to recreate, recreate this motor? Yeah, we did. We 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 did a lot of stuff because we always would measure that thing yeah. and try to find another one just like it. And we did. What's just funny is we we had that engine and the other engine was number thirty at Michael one, mm-hmm. and uh, and we never we only built that engine once. And that engine was uh, Michael won it, and we never built it again. No kidding. And. Uh, because Trace wanted to keep it in the museum. So the motor goes, stays in the car in a museum yep. and doesn't race again. No, nope. she she wanted to keep it Yeah, because of that day. Yeah, it never got built again. What do you uh, – I connect you with super speedways. I connect you with the ability to build a motor that, as you say, pumps the air. And that's – you know, when you restrict the top end of that motor, that becomes even more critical. The ideas and theories that have been successful for you to – to set you apart from traditional or, or engine builders throughout the industry, are those same? I know engines are quite different these days, but are, are those same? Is that is the same? Do, is there like a set of values and and protocols and and ideals that you carry with you throughout your career, at, and if applied properly, continue to produce the same results? even decades down the road. You know, that's one of the things that I think is most fascinating about somebody, especially in our industry, is longevity. And we see crew chiefs that sort of just age out, right? The technology gets beyond them. Um, their ability to, you know, to, to, to people uh, gets beyond them. Uh, every, everything runs its course, right? But is the ideas and theories of, of – you know, making that engine do what it's supposed to do, stay consistent enough, and your ability to do it so well um, lead – is that – you know, are the, all the theories and things that you're doing to motors for me in 2004 that you did for Derek Cope in 1990, are those still the same ideals that you use today? I think so. Um, and it's like talking to a group the other day, it's – I think one of the things – I. Hopefully, and I feel like I take a lot of pride in is on building engines as a process. And I look at 
coming over to DEI is I felt like I set up a really good group and and then put processes in place, even if I'm not there, and that all the people do the same way. It's a really good system. And then when I went to Richards, um, I felt like they built reliable engines, but they weren't. They definitely weren't on the top of the power chain. Um, and so I put a really good group together there, and they, you know, they won all. They win the Dino War a lot. ECR make really good power, and then in you know when Richard and Rick talked in 2020, we went down and put the deal together with Hendrix, and now all the Chevrolet engines get put together the same. And now you know Chevrolet's been on a really good streak of winning championships again and winning a lot of races, but we've. Now I feel really honored to be part of that group that's at ECR and the Hendrix group now. They build all their engines the same. They got the same system. Um, but I feel like a lot of that was born at DEI uh, on them systems and all that is now all the Chevrolet engines get that. So That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Have you ever built a motor or had a motor as special as number 11? sense now but a lot of stuff on the plate stuff yeah is carried on from that that's yeah, yeah. so pretty cool one no number 11 yeah. dude it's legendary <laughs> yeah it's it's like uh doug uh, doug yates hates that engine yeah, yeah i bet he does <laughs> <laughs> well, he said it he told us that yeah. so I mean, like, let yeah, me ask you a question he told us if if the intake and the heads and the block are, are all the real parts all and the pieces. real parts yeah yeah just as it came off the racetrack yeah, yeah we want to keep the, all that special that's like the secret yeah, the secretariat of motors uh, yeah. yeah pretty yeah. good analogy actually i mean like i mean you were all, you guys were on such a run my gosh man. there's not another engine in nascar that's ever won as much money as that one no it won two no bulls i believe yeah two 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 million dollar paydays yeah. well man um I want to say, man, we, I told Mike when we talked about when, when you were coming in, I was like, man, we're not going to get into the DEI and get all bummed the f*** out. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted to, uh, I guess, you know, when I have somebody that comes in here from DEI, I just want you to know, man, that, um, you know, I, uh, I've certainly grown up a lot since then, and I think you know all of that. Yeah. Um, but... I like you say, man. Thinking about all the good times and the and the and the quality people that were part of all of that, um, we were very lucky. Absolutely. And I don't believe that another group could have pulled it together. No. Um, everybody knew Dad's vision. Everybody wanted to respect that and and take care of that and protect that. And you and and Steve Mill and Tony Senior and Ty especially. I mean, everybody had a, a great understanding yeah. of what needed to get done and how it should be done. Um, I just want to say that I feel very thankful and, and lucky to have known you, to have uh, got to know that guy that jumped off the wall in 1990 at Daytona. <laughs> I don't know why that stuck in my mind, but, you know, I'm so lucky that I got to, to work with you and get to know you. And uh, every time I see you at the racetrack, it's the, I see the same guy and the same, same smile and 
disposition. You've just always been so level. Um, just a quality, quality person, and I appreciate you. Thanks for coming and giving us some time today. Um, people are going to appreciate this conversation. Um, happy everything's going so well, and you're excited about what you're doing, and you're continuing to, you know, make this make an incredible impact on the sport. You talked about um, Dorton and everybody that's came through his business, and everybody's been touched by that, you know, that that career, that that man and that business. I mean, you you yourself have uh, a line of people that are that are responsible for their own careers and their connection to you in this sport, you've left a hell of an impact. Uh, and just thank you for coming today, Richie. Well, I appreciate you having me and appreciate everything you've done for me. And I, I can't thank you enough. I'm proud of you. And uh, you've got to follow you on Instagram, <laughs> See, seeing your kids grow up. That's, yeah. a, uh, that's amazing. And uh, like when your dad asked me to come, come over and work for this kid that he's going to take cup racing, I know how proud he would be of you being a great husband and a great dad. I appreciate that. Well, you you still uh, you still have an impact on my life today. Uh, you know, uh, you're you're one of the people on a on a list that's that's it's important that I'm I make proud. Uh, and so um, glad to see you again, and and hope you hope you guys to come over here and enjoy talking to us. So, Richie Gilmore on the Dale Jr. Download. Man, I'm really excited to have Ally help us bring the guest segment every week. It's one of my favorite parts of the download. We get to talk to so many different people in racing, outside of racing. But everybody that comes in here, I want them to have had a good time. I want them to want to come back. I want them to feel like an ally to Dirty Mo Media. Thank you, Ally, for your continued support of the download and the entire Dirty Mo Media team. All right, so there it is. Um, I hope you understand, you know, how big that interview was and why we broke it into two parts. And I appreciate everybody for, under, you know, being patient and, and consuming all of this. I will say that when we brought Richie in, the intent for me was really not to go into the DEI conversation. For me, that is a really difficult conversation to have, and we've had it a lot. And I keep telling myself every time that is the last time I dive into uh, the difficult details, it's emotional and there's a lot of regret. And even after today, man, I'm, even after all these years, um, I still have a lot of remorse for just my role and my shortcomings and, and how I influenced uh, some, some, some poor decisions uh, within the organization. I was glad, you know, it's, but you can't help. You, you get to talk, you get to talking about it, Mike, and you can't help but the conversation. I'm sitting across from Richie, and I'm thinking, damn, man, I feel like I got to apologize for, for my role. He feels so much responsibility because he was at the controls or he was running the business. But, man, I feel like he ought to know that at least I acknowledge I was, I was you know, probably not as plugged in as I should have been. I was young and, and not mature enough to be – making some of the decisions I made. And so I, you know, it draws me right into that, that sort of, that sort of conversation. Either way, man, I'm sure you got some reaction on that, but, um, I enjoyed talking to him. Yeah. He is a, he's a quality individual. Uh, after all these years, still, still the same guy. 
not to overstate it, I just I just want to say this, and also not to patronize you and, and everything else, but I, I really do appreciate you. You're not you're not loving the fact that we go back and we get to sit there and pick apart, you know, things that you feel responsible for a long time ago. If yeah. we all did that, if we all had to go pick apart our past um, when we were not as mature or not as put together or not as responsible. None of us would like that, and yet you're doing it a lot, and, yeah. and I think it's happening naturally, and here's why I think it's happening. I think that the, the players in that time, the Richie Gilmores, the Steve Mills, the Slugger Labbies, the Ty Norrises, I think that they all are, look forward to having a conversation with you that has not been had for two decades or for however long. God, it has been two decades, hasn't it? Um, and and um, it, there is a bit of a therapy that goes on, and I think that they feel a load that comes off. And I think you've picked up on something that I don't even know if our listeners picked up on, and that is we're looking at Richie Gilmore's eyes, and you could tell that he was feeling some responsibility and remorse over something that he felt like he did. And you picked up on it, and you jumped right in and, and, and tried to take that load off. I appreciate that you did that. Um, I know that that's not easy. I know he appreciates that you did that. Um, I think he's going to feel better about all of that now moving forward, and that's, and that's a good thing. But um, I, I think you're right. I don't know if we have to dive back into the DEI days. I don't know who else is left on the planet the that, that, that was a part of it that has that type of insight. I think yeah. we just hit the last one. No, there's one more. And it's, there is one and, more. And, and, <laughs> yeah, but I doubt that happens. Yeah, I do too. And and honestly, I think that's also part of my hesitation to really talk about it in even even more detail than yeah. we do. It's because Teresa's not here to tell her side of that story. And in fairness to her, um, you know, sometimes it's it's sometimes we start walking into that conversation, and I'm thinking, man, this just doesn't feel entirely fair um, without her without her side of it. And um, you know, I don't know that we'll ever have that conversation, um, but and I know I see it in my timeline. People wondering when that might ever happen, or that's one thing that they wish could happen. Well, uh, nobody ever asked you this. Do you wish that could happen? You know, I wouldn't mind. Um, I wouldn't mind. Sit, I would want to sit in a room with her uh, beforehand, you know, and talk to her about what I think um, we would, you know, what the conversation would likely be like. Or what I would hope would happen, um, you know. If she's, you know, that, that's a that's a tough one. Yeah, you know, I get it. Look, man, I it, I don't need to have Adele Junior download, right? Uh, with 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 Teresa, but I would love to have a conversation, right? Where we could find some sort of a a, a closure or, or a way to figure out a way for us to, um, just know that she's okay and yeah. and um. Fix anything that's not okay. I'm glad to hear that because this life is too short to sit there and, yeah. and, and have that, you know, to carry resentment and, yeah. and, and remorse and that kind of thing. So I, I'm actually I, glad yeah, to hear you yeah, say yeah. that. No, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't walk around with any of that. I don't believe in my heart. Um, and, uh, I'm very careful to, you know, about what's said. And, and certainly I think I've measured on, on the remarks that I make about that time, uh, in fairness to her. Wouldn't you say? I mean, I mean, am I right about that? You are, uh, uh, you're way more reserved than I would be. Or you, you, you. Um, that's not the right word. You're way more considerate yeah. of her position on that than I think yeah. I would be. 
Um, and I think that that's an admirable thing. And um, again, well, I think I, that she deserves that. I, I mean, a lot of people can, uh, and I didn't want to get into this either. I know but, you did. You know, <laughs> here we are. I th- yeah, <laughs> damn, I think table. I, I think she does, <laughs> she absolutely deserves it. And um, you know, there's other connections in there too. Like you have, you know, there's 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 Taylor and 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 mm-hmm. whatever you know, whatever relationship we would ever have going forward, all of that exists in the same world, man, in the same universe. And so you can't have it both ways, right? Um, you can't have, you can't, you can't hold this at arm's length and want to embrace this. It all has to happen together. And so um, either way, man, you know, I, I think that was probably the final DEI conversation. At least for me, um, we there, there's really nothing left to to be to be had. And um, Richie, I, I, Richie is a great guy. I want to say that you know Richie is a great guy, and and he is the reason why you know if half of my career or nearly half of my career is success on restricted plate racetracks, wins at Daytona, wins at Talladega. 125 mile qualifying wins, shootout wins. Richie is the reason why we had so much success at those tracks, along with, you know, the bodies and other things. But I mean, I'm telling you, man, I look at that guy and I go, hey, I know you were a big part of what I was able to do out there on the racetrack. And and he's a great dude. I, I, he's definitely somebody I never wanted to disappoint. Um, and I appreciate having somebody like that in my life. You need people in your life that you don't want to disappoint, that yeah. holds you accountable. And, um, and so he was one of those people for me. Um, anyways, great guest, great conversation. Uh, we got more for you in this Thursday show, but before we get to that, let's go to Short Track Insider with Hannah Newhouse. She's going to tell us everything going out there on the grassroots circuit. Welcome back to another episode of Short Track Insider, and thanks for hanging with us as we took a week off. And while we took a week off, let me tell you, short track racing most definitely did not. Last week was hands down one of the busiest weeks in terms of midweek racing that we've seen so far this summer. So let's get you a quick recap of some of those races. Uh, First starting off, the Cars Tour Pro Late Models raced at Dillon Motor Speedway on Saturday, and history was made when Tristan McKee took the checkered flag. At only 12 years old, McKee is now the youngest winner in Cars Tour history and makes the total of five different winners in six pro late model races so far in the 2023 season. The Dirt Late Model Dream also took place at Eldora this weekend as well, and if you're unfamiliar with it, that's one of the biggest races in Dirt Late Model Racing this year, I mean each year, and at this rate, someone honestly just needs to hand the keys to Jonathan Davenport when it comes to late model racing, because if it's a big race and money's on the line at Eldora, he is most definitely the guy to beat. A lot of the drivers, though, went from Eldora over the weekend and just made the trip over to Kokomo Speedway in Kokomo, Indiana on Monday for a $100,000 to win dirt late model race with XR Super Series, where the new deal, Hudson O'Neill, was able to hold off the veteran of Bichette, Brandon Shepard, for the big payday. Also, one of the toughest weeks in midget racing just took place, Indiana Midget Week, which basically takes place for 10 days. 
It was between USAC and Extreme Midget Races. Uh, it was 10 days, nine races, all at different racetracks. And it essentially, these drivers accumulate points across those races each night, having an individual win, but of course, an accumulation throughout the week, where one driver is named Indiana Midget Week champion. This year for 2023, Logan CV able to take home that overall championship, along with a win at Gas City. And this championship of first, along with a first national midget win for his newly formed team that he's running for this year, Abacus Racing. CV definitely excited for the milestone marker win. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, it's super cool to get Abacus, uh, Abacus Racing their, their first win. And uh, it's kind of been the, the goal all along when they called me to, you know, drive their car for this year was, you know, just kind of to get them going and, you know, try to get some wins under our belt and run up front and really just kind of kind of put them on the map. You know, they've been racing for a few years and they've had success and, you know, it's kind of obvious that their their cars were fast. But, um, yeah, it just takes so much for a for a team to, to put every single piece of the puzzle together. And, um, you know, they lost their driver last year and uh, kind of called me not too long after, after they lost their driver. And, uh, man, you know, obviously... Um, I've been midget racing for a few years now and they just thought I was the guy that they needed to drive their cars and uh, we were able to work out a deal to, to make it worth it for everybody and uh, man honestly we're just having a lot of fun racing and uh, that's kind of what it's, what it's all about obviously we're here doing it as a job and uh, as a profession and we're, they run the team very professionally but we're all having so much fun you know I've raced a lot with Johnny Kofer growing up you know just being around him at the racetrack and and Kirk Simpson too so we've all kind of meshed well together and yeah to come off uh, this early in the season running running this well is is really cool so uh, I know the team owners Brent and, and John couldn't be happier and uh, you know we talked about winning races all year but you never really know you know if you're gonna win or how it's gonna happen or or when it's gonna happen so to get it out of the way early and to kind of put ourselves you know at the top of the standings here going into the rest of the season is is really cool for not just me but for abacus too i know that's a a huge goal of theirs and lastly a little hometown shout out to my home track of meridian speedway out in meridian idaho they ran their super late model division with the treasure valley 125 over the weekend jonathan gomez able to take the win over kyle telstrom and zach telford all right moving forward with what to watch this upcoming weekend and again there is plenty Starting it off, though, with the Cars Tour in action, another weekend, but this time just the late model stock division as they head to Dominion Raceway in Thornburg, Virginia. Going into the weekend, Carson Quapel still your points leader over Brendan Queen and Connor Hall. They race on Saturday evening for the Cars Tour 125, presented by Napa Auto Parts and Cheney Enterprises. But another really cool thing is taking place this weekend, and it was an initiative that was put together by Minnie Tyrell. And he's organized for 12 pediatric cancer patients and their families to come to the races this weekend. They're pairing up with a driver for the race day, driver intros, the whole deal. Super cool, but I was able to catch up with many prior to the weekend. This weekend at Dominion Raceway, my home track, on behalf of Minnie's Mission and the Cars Tour Touring 12 program, we are hosting 13 families from Walter Reed Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. All 13 families have a child that is either battling cancer or is a survivor. On Friday night, we're welcoming the families to Dominion Raceway by having a dinner and a comedy show that all Touring 12 drivers and their crew members will be at. On Saturday, the families will be participating in a chapel service with preacher Joe Lewis and with the Touring 12 drivers and crews. And then they'll get a tour of the pits and get to walk out with the drivers for driver intros. 
I can't thank the Cars Tour and the Brit family with Dominion Raceway enough for allowing me to put this event together and donating so much of their time and resources. I want to give a huge shout out to all the people that have helped donate to this event and all the drivers in the car store that have stepped up without a question to make this happen. It really shows what grassroots racing is all about. One big family. And to my team, this means a ton. And by team, I mean my family, my friends, and everybody at the racetrack that has helped put this together. I think this is going to be an awesome event. I'm, my goal is just to make sure that everybody has a good time and have fun with it. Super cool deal. Looking forward to seeing, you know, the socials and the pictures and everything that come out of this weekend. And, you know, what a cool thing that Minnie's been able to put together. But as always, if you're not able to make it to Dominion Raceway this weekend, all Cars Tour races can be watched on Flow Racing. USAC Eastern Storm started on Tuesday. And as this episode goes out, it will be Thursday. So they'll be racing at Big Diamond Speedway in Pottsville, Pennsylvania tonight. And then on Friday, they're at Williams Grove in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Port Royal on Saturday in Port Royal, PA. And then they will wrap up on Sunday at Action Track in Cutstown, PA. The All-Star Sprint Cars are also in action at Atomic in Chillicothe, Ohio on Thursday. They head over to Eldora on Friday. And then they'll wrap up at Portsmouth Speedway in Portsmouth, Ohio on Saturday. And you've got the Lucas Oil Late Models who are making their way down south. They're going to be at Smoky Mountain Speedway in Maryville, Tennessee, both Friday and Saturday evening. All USAC, All-Stars, and Lucas Oil Late Models can be watched on Flow Racing. This weekend, I'll be headed to Wisconsin with the World of Outlaw and NOS Energy Sprint Cars, uh, doing some coverage there for them as they double down for a Friday-Saturday show at Beaverdam Speedway in Beaverdam, Wisconsin, and the most rigorous tour in all of racing, uh, known as the Summer Nationals, but it's honestly known amongst drivers as the Hell Tour. Kicks off this week, uh, a, a busy week starting on Tuesday or Wednesday at Peoria, and again, this is like 30-something races. I mean, it's back-to-back-to-back-to-back races for dirt late model racing. It's intense. It's rigorous. It's all summer long in some of the hottest racetracks. You know, it's incredible. So if you get a chance to watch those drivers support them, you can watch all World of Outlaw stuff and Summer Nationals, which is dirt car racing on Dirt Vision. And out west, for all my West Coast friends, the Northwest Super Late Model Series runs at Hermiston Raceway in Hermiston, Oregon for the Hermiston 125. Try and say that five times fast. And then you've got the SRL Southwest Tour at Kern County Raceway Park on Saturday. And, of course, all SRL stuff can be watched on SRL's own streaming channel. But as always, guys, there is a ton of local tracks now in action throughout the weekend that would love your support, whether it's Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. There's usually a track around you racing, some of those including Jacksonville Speedway in Jacksonville, Illinois. South Boston's got their regular NASCAR Weekly Series going, as well as Langley, Bowman Gray, All-American Speedway out in California is racing, and so many more. So please take the initiative to look up what's racing near you. Get out and support your local racetrack. And, you know, I'd love to see what short track racing you guys are watching this weekend, whether it's in person or online, tag me in your Short Track Insider photos of where you're watching, as always, at Hannah Newhouse on everything. We'll catch you guys next week on Short Track Insider. All right, thank you, Hannah. That was great. Awesome to hear what's going on out there uh, in the Short Track scene Short Track Insider, a very important part of our Thursday show, and catch that every week. Um, yeah, man, this has been a good week, man. It's been a full week. Yeah. Going into Father's Day, I'm going to take uh, a little more time with my family before we go to Nashville. I hope everybody has a great 
Father's Day weekend. To all the fathers out there, keep kicking ass. And uh, yeah, we'll and, s- and if if you're a fa- if you're a father or you know somebody that is a father, then you might want to just come join us in Nashville on Friday. Uh, it's coming up. We're doing a live Dale Jr. download at Old Red. It's going to be fun. Mike is Broadway. worried that nobody's going to show up. No, I'm not. I okay. know people are going to show up. All right. I'm worried that we're not going to entertain them. <laughs> I am not worried about that. We're going to We're going to have a great time. Come see us. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Check out Dirty Mo Media. Tell them what you want. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.